Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. You guys may be seated as the children are dismissed at Children's Church. morning I'll wait for the children to be dismissed and then we'll jump into our announcements uh, prayer for the youth pastor and into uh, the passage this morning uh, let's go to the announcements uh, just one announcement this morning I'll read it uh, just for uh, sake of clarity it says this calling all women who desire to be prayer warriors starting Sunday September the 5th from 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, that's on Sunday evenings. We will be meeting weekly at the church to ignite and focus our prayer lives. We'll be using the Christian classic, What Happens When Women Pray, during the class. The techniques in this book will, <clears throat> will be applied throughout the group prayer time each Sunday evening. If you have any questions, please see Susan or call her or text her or see me or Tracy and we'll get you more information. Again, that's uh, Sunday evenings, uh, starting September 5th, uh, 6 to 7. If you are a lady, please join them for that, to pray um, and to learn to pray as we will walk through this in the next several months, how uh, it is that we are called to pray. Uh, the other thing is um, we're in the search uh, as we continue to ask the Lord to provide us with a youth pastor. Uh, at this time, we're going to pray for that. Uh, we've been praying three ways. First, that if there's someone here in our body that has a desire to work with 6th through 12th grade, you'll see myself or one of the deacons. We'd love to talk to you about that, what that would look like. If not, if there's no one here, we are praying that God would bring someone to us uh, that either move in the area or come to the church uh, that has a desire for that. And lastly, starting in October, we'll begin the process of putting together a resume, a search committee, to go outside the body. Our hope and desire is that someone here uh, in the body or would come to the body would uh, desire to uh, fulfill that role. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll pray for that. I'll pray for our service. And then we're going to jump into Luke chapter uh, 11, verses uh, 1 through 4. But we'll be looking really at uh, one word this morning. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I pray that in the stillness of this moment, you would, through the Holy Spirit, still our hearts. We would come to you and plead with you again, God, that we 
are in need of a youth pastor, someone that would lead and guide our students to love you, to know you, and then would send them into the world to make you known. We need someone so desperately for that position. Our youth continue to grow and get older. God, you've been bringing people to us. We pray that you would send someone to us that has a heart for you and a heart for students. God, if that person is here in the body now, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would quicken their hearts to respond to that call. Whether it's out of fear or out of the unknown or whatever it may be, God, that they're sitting and yet there's this compulsion in them to and this desire to serve, I pray that they would be obedient to you. God, if they're not here, I pray that you would send someone to us. They would either move in the area or drive past the church and have this desire to come and uh, see what you are doing here at this church. That you would have someone for us, again, that has a heart for you and for students. And again, if those two are not your will, God, then I pray that you would give us wisdom upon wisdom upon wisdom as we begin the process of searching for someone. That we would be diligent to continue to seek your face as we seek for someone to lead these students. I pray that you continue to prepare us for them and them for us. You know exactly the person that you would have to fulfill this role. And I pray that you would make it so clear to us and we would respond in obedience. We do continue to lift our students up to you and ask for protection that they are in a world that is dark, that is scary, that is absent and void of your presence. At least it seems void of your presence. We know that your presence all places at all times. But the care for you, the love for you, the pursuit of you is not there. So I pray for these students for protection, emotionally, spiritually, physically, from what the world, what Satan would want to so devour and rob from them. And now, God, we come to this morning and we ask that you, uh, through your word, would encourage our hearts. Through your word, that we would continue to gain a healthy understanding of what it means to pray. As you taught your disciples over 2,000 years ago how to pray, you are teaching us this morning how to pray. So as we look to your word, I pray that we would leave here encouraged, we'd leave here challenged, and we'd leave here desiring to pray and to pray more. Through prayer, God, that lives are changed. That marriages are changed. That healing takes place. Because prayer is our dependence on you. Our prayer uh, reveals to us what we believe to be true about ourselves and about you. And so I pray that you would help us with that this morning as you would teach us from your holy word. So again, we humble ourselves before your mighty hand and ask that the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. And that's bring transformation and salvation. To us. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. 
as we started last week, we'll be in Luke chapter 11. My hope is we'll, we'll be here for the next several weeks, maybe eight weeks or so. My desire is to go basically word by word through this prayer. So this morning we'll look at one word. We'll uh, kind of go back and forth to uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, where uh, Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount is teaching, <clears throat> excuse me, his disciples how to pray. He's doing it again here. There's, uh, the scholars are kind of split on whether this is the same prayer or two different prayers. Uh, I lean to believe it's the same prayer just because when you look at the book of Luke, Luke contains everything that Matthew contains and then some, not vice versa. So I tend to think, uh, just through my own study, that these two uh, are <clears throat> the same prayer. And so I will go back and forth and borrow uh, from the Matthew account. But here we are in this moment, and Jesus has been walking with his disciples for quite some time. And Jesus is beginning to, uh, is in the midst of his earthly ministry. And Jesus has healed people, and Jesus has raised people from the dead, and Jesus has multiplied uh, and fed 5,000. Jesus had calmed the storms. There's the power of Jesus that his disciple had witnessed. But this is what it says in, Ma in Luke chapter 11. You'll see this throughout Luke's account. You'll see this throughout the gospel accounts. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus would oftentimes do these um, earthly ministries and then just withdraw and begin to pray. You see that over and over and over again. So this would not have been the first time that his disciples had witnessed him pray. It says also that they had witnessed who pray? John the Baptist. And so the disciples had witnessed a lot of things. And yet on this account, it says this. When he was praying and he had finished praying, one of his disciples, I believe one of those disciples, again, this is Todd's interpretation. I believe it's Thomas. Thomas was the doubter. Thomas was the one that was always asking questions, as you know. So I think Thomas became the spokesperson for the disciples that day. And so Thomas is not on his own. I think maybe the other disciples kind of said, hey, you, you kind of ask the questions that none of us are willing to ask and pushes uh, Thomas out in front of Jesus. And he says this, Lord, teach us to pray. Now think of all the things that they had witnessed Jesus do. All the things. Walk on water. I mean, take a few fish and a few loaves and multiply it and feed 5,000. Walk on water. Calm the storms. Uh, watch the withered man's hand be restored. Uh, dead people raised to life. Now if I'm the disciple, I'm asking, hey man, I wanna, what, what's it like to walk on water? What's it like to raise people from the dead? But that's not the question they asked Jesus to show them. They said what? Teach us to pray. I believe they asked Jesus to teach them to pray because they saw every time that Jesus got away, what happened? A miracle happened. So they weren't concerned about the miracle. They were more concerned about where's the power come that when you pray, the power comes to you and you do extraordinary things. That's what I want. 
And I wonder in my life, I wonder in our church's life, how often we want to see the miracle without having the power to do the miracle. Because it wasn't like Jesus was just slipping away for a few moments. It wasn't like he was coming on a Wednesday night to a prayer meeting and praying for 10 minutes. It would say this, that he would pray for hours. He would withdraw for the whole evening to pray. We see how he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that prayer. He prayed out of so much anguish as if he, his blood vessels burst and he began to bleed. Like he was so desirous that God would do something. And now this is the Son of God. He could have done it without prayer. But he did it through prayer. He was showing us his dependence on God. The Son of God himself, God incarnate, was revealing to us his own dependence on the Lord. And so prayer is our way of showing God our dependence to him. Your prayer life, my prayer life, the church's prayer life will reveal one thing. How needy are we to God? How much do we really believe that we need God? It is blazing hot in here. Holy moly. Some just excited, I'm not sure, but I'm sweating through the shirt already. So we see that these disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray because they wanted to see the power of prayer. Is that true for us, church? Do we want to see God work in mysterious ways? Do we really want to know God? Do we want to make him known? That's our mission statement is to know God and to make him known. The only way to know God and to make him known is through the power of God, is through our dependence of God, is through how much are we praying for God to accomplish those things in us and then through us. That's what the disciples wanted to know. That's what the disciples wanted to see. That's what the disciples wanted to experience. So they say, hey, out of all the things you could teach us, teach us to pray. And he said to them, and when you pray, and when you pray, not if you pray, he says, when you pray, you ought to pray. That, that line right there is a command from God through Jesus. We are to pray. And it's already an assumption. He's saying to us, if you're my disciple, you will want to pray. So when you pray, now I'm going to give you the model of your prayer life. So this is not the exact way. Every time you sit down to pray, this is not it. He's saying this is the model of our prayer life. And I'm going to walk through this model over the next several weeks, the model of our prayer life. But look where he starts. Two words. It's found in Matthew's account. The first word in Matthew's account is our. Our what? Our Father. But the first word is just as important as the second word. How come the first word of Jesus, when Jesus is saying, hey, when you pray, this is how you ought to pray. He doesn't start with exaltation to themselves. He doesn't start with a prayer request. He doesn't start with a need. He starts with who? God. Our prayer lives have to start with God, but there's this one little word that it says to begin with, are. 
are. What does that word are? And what is that word there for? Why would Jesus, when he starts, start with the word are and then go to Father? The word are is a reminder to us through the Lord's Prayer of what? Our adoption. So Jesus is saying to us in that moment, hey, when you pray, you're praying to God, it's our Father, yours and mine. He's making us equal to him in the sense of our brotherhood and sisterhood if you're a believer. He's saying to us, hey, you're my little brothers, you're my little sisters, and this is our father together. It's not just my father, it's not just your father, it's our father. He's reminding us of our adoption. He's reminding us what God has already done for us. Remember how adoption works. The kid in the orphanage, as much as he wants to be adopted, does not get to choose his father or his mother. What happens? The mother and the father go into the orphanage and they choose who is going to be their son. God chose us and he's reminding us what God has already done for us. It's our Father, He has adopted us. He has brought us into His family. It's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us for what? Adoption to Himself. As sons through Christ Jesus. Our adoption happens through Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 15 through 14 and 15 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. We did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of what? Adoption as sons and daughters whom we now cry what? Abba, Father. Because of our adoption, we have a new father who we say Abba, Father to. It says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons and daughters of God through faith. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons and daughters of God, He has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts so that we can cry, Abba, Father. So He's reminded us out of the gates. We've been adopted into this family, and because we've been adopted into this family, we're no longer just going to God as God, but we're going to God as Father. And then he says to us, hey, because you're adopted, because you're chosen by God, you're in his family, now you have the right, the privilege to call him father. Now that's going to turn everything on its head. When Jesus is saying this in front of these people in Matthew's account and in this account in Luke, all of a sudden the people that aren't inside the family get stirred up. Because if you know anything about the Jewish history, the, the, the years prior to Christ's coming, there's only four places in the Old Testament that talk about God being Father. And those four places have to do with one thing. It has to do with God being the Father of the nation. It has nothing to do with God being in an individual, personal relationship with someone else. So now Jesus is saying you have a personal relationship with God the Father. He's not just God theoretically over this nation. He's not just God over all things. You can now enter into a personal relationship because of your adoption 
because of your adoption, you now have the right to call him Father. And then Jesus, in the Gospels, 70 more times, refers to God as what? Father. There's only one time in the Gospel of Luke that he's not referring, when he prays, to his Father as Father. It's when he's on the cross, and he's taken the sins of the world upon himself, and he quotes uh, uh, Psalms when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every other prayer that Jesus shows us, models to us, he's praying to God the Father. Now, I know when I say God the Father, we ought to look at God the Father. There is a lot of us in the room, myself included, that there's emotions that get stirred with that one little word, Father. And it's so hard for us to look at God as our Father because of our, our earthly Father and how destructive they were to us. And so when we begin to think of God the Father, it's so hard for us to grasp. Yes, God's sovereign and control, we can grasp that. Yes, God is over all things at all time, we can get that. We can get that God is judge. But that God would be a compassionate, loving, tender Father that's so in tune with His children, that's hard for many of us to get because we never had that model. And yet this is what one theologian says, R.C. Sproul says it this way, and I was like, man, I'm stealing that one, and I'll use this from now on in my counseling. It says this, when I talk to someone who is having difficulty using the word father and wants to choke on it when, we, when he or she refers to God, I usually advise him or her that this, as hard as it may be, to focus on the word that comes before it. Our, because our father is not his father, your father. So often we think father and we associate God with our earthly fathers and that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about your earthly father. I'm talking about your heavenly father. And when we begin to have a proper understanding of our heavenly father, everything around us changes. God is a father to us which means this and this is what god we see throughout the old testament we see throughout the new testament god the father is tender in his love to us god's so attuned to us it says this jesus says this that god knows every hair on your head think about that for a moment Even the one you lost last night in your sleep, he knew the name of that piece of hair. He knows every hair on our body. He is so in tune with us. It says this, that he knows the words that are going to come out of your mouth before they even come out of your mouth. And so many of us grew up with fathers that had no idea who we were. And with one hand, they'd abuse us, and with the other hand, they try to nurture us. How confusing. But God's hands are always full of compassion and kindness and goodness to us as children. Jesus says it. He, he says it in a parable. Right? He says, who of you as fathers, if their son comes to them and asks for them this, they ask for a, a, a loaf of bread, would give him a stone, or ask for a fish, would give him a scorpion. 
He's saying e- even the worst of fathers know not to do that. But he then says this, but your heavenly father will give you even more than you already desire because he knows and loves and cares for you. Right? And so if we have a proper understanding of who God is as our father, then we're going to understand the rest of the sermon, the rest of the prayer. Because the rest of the prayer is this. It will enable us to first come to God. If we truly believe God is our Father, we can come to Him with what? Confidence. Right? We want our children to come to us in confidence. Knowing if my children or your children come to you, they're coming to you out of confidence that, hey, my mom, my dad, my dad is really going to do for me what I'm asking him to do for me. But how many of us grew up in homes that we learned early on, I can't go to my dad with confidence because there's no telling what I'm going to get. But when we understand the tenderness, the love, the mercy, the grace, the goodness of God, then we can approach him because he's our father with confidence that he's going to do for us what he said he's going to do for us. I just wonder how many of us don't approach God out of confidence because we don't really see him as the father he says he is. So do we approach God as our Father with confidence? The next is this, and we'll see this next week. Do we approach God, the Father, with reverence? See, healthy moms and healthy dads in particular, you you want there to be somewhat of a, a holy reverence. Like, I don't just want my kids running amok all over the place. Like, I want them to know when they're in my presence, there's a way they ought to act. Because they respect me. They respect our home. They, they respect what I'm trying to do. That, that's what God is saying. When we see God as our Father, then we'll have confidence, but then we'll also have this healthy reverence for Him. See, it's out of our reverence for Him that we'll be obedient. It's not out of our fear. It's out of a proper understanding of who He is that we will be uh, inclined to worship him and obey him and serve him and do all the things that he's calling us to do do we have confidence in who god is as father do we approach him with reverence because then we'll do what the rest of the prayer says when we approach god with confidence and reverence then we'll believe the last three things the last three things that we see in the text are this and i'll cover this over the next several weeks it says this, this is the prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. I'll look at hallowed be your name. That, that's the exaltation of who God is as Father. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our, our sins. For we, are sin, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not in temptation. Three things that we see in the text that we're going to cover over the next several weeks is this. That when we see God as Father, then we'll believe that he will provide us with our provision. That's what it means when he says, give us our daily bread. That's provision. God is your provider. He will provide exactly what you need. Key word there, daily. Your daily bread. He'll provide you today with exactly what you need. He will provide for us. The second thing that we see in the, in the prayer is this. When we see God for who he really is, we'll have a proper understanding 
that God is a loving God who pardons us or forgives us of our sins. And we can approach God with that. Not out of like fear of what he's going to do to us, but out of reverence and confidence that, yes, I've sinned, and I can go to God and ask for forgiveness, and I'm confident that he will freely give it to me. The next is this, is protection. Lead us not into temptation. When we see God for who he is, we'll begin to believe that God will provide for his children. The three things that we'll see is this, provision, pardon, and protection. You see, the human heart is always asking a question, two questions. It's in every one of us in the room. No matter how old you are or how young you are. The two questions the human heart is always asking is this. Do I matter? Do I belong? Do I really matter? And do I really belong? And God, through Jesus, in his prayer of teaching us how to pray, answers those two questions. Yes, you matter. And yes, you belong. Because you matter and belong. That's why you will get provision, pardon, and protection. That comes straight out of the text. So if you want to know if you matter and you belong to God, just read his prayer. You matter and you belong to God. Do you see him today as your heavenly father? The tenderness of God. Because if you do, then you will approach him with confidence and out of reverence, believing that he'll provide for you, he'll forgive you, and he'll protect you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning.